0: Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. I mean, just look around. It's a perfect day and folks should be enjoying. I'm I'm delighted that some folks are still listening to the radio rather than being out and about. And if you decide to go out and about, I don't blame you. I, I intend to do that myself. Um, but uh, you know it really it, it, you know once May comes around uh, we're pretty much guaranteed nice weather and that's um, th- that's a, a good thing um, you know last weekend it was a little cool but uh, at the same time it was a beautiful day great day to work in the garden or work outside at anything uh, now we're, we're in beach weather, and it's uh, you know, not a good day to work. It's a great day to just be out and enjoy. the uh, enjoy. <laughs> That's
0: right. And it does look like uh, the long-range forecast uh, yeah, were it's going to be uh, a bit warmer and toasty out. Uh,
1: no question about it. So this is a day to forget that honeydew list. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, find something that you really enjoy doing and, and get to it. So that's that's a thing. But if you want to stay with me for the next hour, that that's a good thing, too. That's right. <laughs> we will
0: keep you entertained for the next hour or so. We've got a good show lined up. And, Bill, yeah. we've been talking recently about, retirement accounts and those are often our our largest assets so making sure that we are using those properly and know the options that are available to us is important and we sort of ran out of time last week but we were having a discussion or starting to have a discussion related to charitable remainder trusts
1: yeah you know jason i think we run out of time every week but uh but the fact is is that uh, retirement accounts are extraordinarily important in our lives today. Um, uh, I- anyone who thinks that uh, Social Security benefits are enough to live on comfortably, um, uh, you know, you better start rethinking that. <laughs> and, and of course, there are a lot of folks who depend on Social Security as their sole source of retirement income. But the fact is, is that retirement accounts uh, are needed for most people to supplement, um, and actually Social Security is intended to supplement uh, what we have uh, to live on in retirement, as opposed to it being the other way around. But I think for most people, it's the other way around, that hopefully there's some income to supplement what Social Security pays for us. But the fact is, is that retirement accounts are extremely important it uh, they uh, and for most people it is in fact the largest asset you know when I was a little kid the the home was that was before retirement accounts That's back in the dark ages of course Uh, but that was when the home was almost always the largest asset for everyone and of course our homes still should be a you know a significant asset in, in our overall portfolio, and hopefully it's paid for. You know that's one of the things I'm a big believer in that our homes should be paid off by the time we retire. Um, and for those who who have no debt when they retire, uh, retirement is. Far easier uh, in terms of stretching those dollars, so that's that's something that's that's uh, certainly important. But the fact is, is that Congress enacted, uh, in fact, uh, Secure Act One and Secure Act Two, which uh, has significantly altered how um, retirement accounts must be distributed. Uh, or should be distributed uh, uh, when an, an account is inherited. Uh, now, uh, f- most people are, are familiar with the fact that w- once you reach a certain age, and for right now that age is 73, um, you must take required distributions. And the distribution is based upon how old we are and... and uh, what was the value of our retirement account on December 31st of the previous year? So that's that's so it's that value plus how old are we this year determines the percentage of the account that was that we must take as a required distribution. And that rule is the same for the employee that has created the account. Uh, And it's the same rule for your spouse who inherits uh, that account. But when our account goes to our children or grandchildren, then the new secure act comes into play and alters uh, what used to be uh, those required minimum distributions, which was, again, based on their age, and of course, for a young person, that required distribution would be very, very small, which allowed the account to grow, 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 grow. Now, Congress says, and this is the law, that for, uh, with the exception of disabled children, or special needs children, if you will, uh, those who are disabled or chronically ill, um Uh, And there are a couple other exceptions in here, too, like a a minor child. Uh, But the fact is, is that unless you fall into one of the exceptions, then the beneficiary must take their distributions within 10 years from the date of death. Uh, So now that, just so you know, if you do the math, that gives the beneficiary 11 years in which to take the entire account. Now, if it's a small account, no big deal, (laughs) you know. So, uh, because, uh, okay, it's it's a nice benefit, and hopefully uh, someone is smart enough, in most cases, to spread um, spread those distributions out over the entire 10 or 11 years. Um, you know, one of the things that the parents fear is that um, our children, our grandchildren, not understanding how retirement accounts work or how retirement accounts are taxed, is that they might be inclined to take it all at once. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, I'd like to buy a house right now. Let's take that distribution. And they don't, set money back for the income taxes that are due because anytime you take a re- uh, distribution, it's taxed as ordinary income. Uh, it's not capital gains. It's not uh, treated as a dividend or anything like. It's treated as just like you earned it uh, as ordinary income. And so the bottom line is that for a lot of folks who inherit a large IRA, these distributions can actually put them in a higher tax bracket. Uh, Oh, that's always very pleasant. Uh, uh, We love to pay income tax, don't we? Uh, Or uh, uh, if they take uh, a distribution not realizing that it's a taxable distribution and then they don't preserve enough money to pay those taxes – uh, they can get in the crosshairs of the Internal Revenue Service for not paying their taxes. And that can create great grief uh, in families uh, where people are just not given good advice on how to deal with it, right? <laughs> so um, now, uh, in in the past, uh, oftentimes uh, parents, uh, in order to... Uh, help their children along, if you will, they would create a trust that uh, actually um, uh, either required or or at least had some flexibility to it, but it actually created what we called a stretch IRA. In other words, where the distributions would be stretched over a long period of time, sometimes a lifetime, But, but... Uh, but that has been pulled away from us by this new Secure Act 10-year rule. So uh, the, the fact is, is that we can't do that anymore. But there, there is an alternative for certain folks that make a lot of sense to me. And that's what I wanted to talk about. Uh, and it's, um, it, it's a way that you can replicate a stretch IRA for certain individuals. Now, clearly not everybody needs that. You know, there, there are folks who uh, are pretty good with money and they know better than to take the, all of those distributions and they're smart, you know. But the fact is, is that there are an awful lot of people who aren't real good with those kinds of things. And that's one reason why so many of us as parents... We want to take a proactive and protective uh, approach. So one alternative that replicates the old stretch IRA is a charitable remainder trust. And the fact is that a charitable remainder trust can, in fact, uh, replicate a stretch IRA with so in essence, you uh, either create the charitable remainder trust uh, as a beneficiary of your IRA, uh, or you can even create a charitable remainder trust with your retirement account. Um, so that's another way to, uh, to do it. And now you, your initial reaction might be, but I don't want to give money to charity. I want all my money to go to, um, uh, go to, to my children. Now, the fact is, and this will, might surprise you, but with a charitable remainder trust, you're only generally talking about 10% of the trust that you create going to charity. And there are an awful lot of folks who uh, tithes and makes fairly significant contributions uh, until they die. And then, of course, that charitable uh, contribution stops. Well, obviously, for folks who are charitably inclined, a charitable remainder trust is an excellent way to make a contribution to a charity. And what's really interesting is that it really doesn't cost 10% to your beneficiaries because the distributions that you create over a period of time actually, in many cases, end up with the beneficiary receiving more money at a lower tax rate. So for a lot of folks, using a charitable remainder trust can work really well. So anyway, I want to talk more about that, and then we'll get into some other things.
0: It's so important to know the different options that are available to you when it comes to planning and deciding uh, what you want your documents to be to look like and how you want them to be structured. If you want to schedule some time to speak with Bill and discuss some options that might be appealing to you, you can go to WGALaw.com. From there, you can schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. You can also find information related to Bill's free webinars. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance or asset protection and trust planning, Bill puts on these webinars the second Wednesday of every month. We just had a set of webinars this past week, but the next set of webinars is happening on Wednesday, June 14th. If you want to learn more, go to wga-law.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page. These webinars are free to attend. There's no cost to you. Just a wonderful educational opportunity for you to learn more from Bill. Go to WGAlaw.com. Click on the seminars button at the top of the page. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. WGALaw.com is where you can go to learn more about Bill and his free webinars. WGALaw.com. Bill has another set of webinars happening on Wednesday, June 14th. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance, Medicaid, VA benefits, and financial assistance that may be available to you or a loved one dealing with a long-term care crisis, this is a great chance for you to wade through the myths and the misinformation. Go to wga click on the seminars button at the top of the page. Uh, Bill, we're going to get back to char- charitable remainder trust, but real quick, we just had the webinars this past Wednesday. I wanted to check in, see how everything went. I know you love doing your webinars.
1: Oh, I do. And and it, you know, I've never had one that I I didn't enjoy and and was not appreciated by the folks who attended. And that that, that was certainly true uh, this uh, last time. Um, and so, uh, you know, folks who missed it, uh, I would certainly encourage them to sign up um, uh, in June. Uh, it's uh, It really is helpful in terms of families that are uh, worried about uh, long-term care issues. If they have a loved one who may need uh, assisted living or nursing care or uh, those kind of things, knowing what is out there that can help them uh, is huge. And just as important is to know if they if they cannot receive uh, certain benefits because there's a huge swath of folks ca- who cannot get financial help at a lower level of care You know, we talk about Medicaid all the time, but the beneficiaries, when I talk about the fact that most middle-class families can, in fact, with professional assistance, uh, get on Medicaid very quickly, regardless of the five-year rule and things like that, is the fact that if they need the care that nobody wants, and that's nursing facility care. That's where Medicaid is has some fairly uh, flexible rules, where middle-class families can, in fact, get on Medicaid very quickly with some help. And that's uh, now, when it comes to assisted living, there's an awful lot of folks who cannot get help. Uh, So anybody who thinks that they can give everything away. And the government will take care of them. They better think again, because they'll be in real bad shape if if that's what they do. And in fact, there are a lot of folks out there who think that okay, if we give our farm away or we give our home away to our kids to protect it, that oftentimes can lead to a disaster. So people should never do that without some really good professional advice and. That professional advice better come from an elder law attorney who knows what they're talking about, because quite frankly, very few attorneys know these rules and how they work and how they can actually help you or hurt you, and importantly, the tax implications that go along with them. So anyway, uh, folks can learn an awful lot if they attend the webinar, because I love teaching this stuff.
0: If you want to sign up for the June webinars, go to WGALaw.com. Click on the Seminars button at the top of the page. It's free to do so. It's relatively quick and easy to do as well. WGALaw.com. All right, Bill, let's get back to charitable remainder trusts.
1: Okay. So first of all, think of the fact that with a charitable remainder trust, that basically means The charity gets what's left over, okay, at the end of the process, okay, not during the first many, many years. Because what you're really doing is using a trust to set up an income stream for yourself or for a beneficiary. And you say, what, myself? That basically means you use your retirement account to create the charitable remainder trust during your lifetime. And then you can be, you and your spouse can, or just you, however you want to do it, can be the beneficiary of the income stream. And then even your children can step in if you, for instance, um, if, if you don't live long enough to take the entire income stream that's created, then you can have other beneficiaries take that income stream. And then when that income stream has to come to a halt, then the remainder of the trust is then distributed to charity. Now there is a requirement that 10% goes to charity. All right, so what does that mean? Let's say you have a million dollar retirement account and you put it in a charitable remainder trust. That basically means that $100,000 must go to charity when the trust is over, okay? And uh, with a trust, uh, you can even change which charity it is. You know, there are lots of flexibility when it comes to having create, of course, you have to be alive to do that, but <laughs> to change the, the beneficiary, but the fact is there are a lot of things that you can do within that, and then you take the income stream Either for yourself, your spouse, or your children, grandchildren—however you want to set it up. Now, uh, basically, uh, if it's if you're trying to do a lifetime income stream, uh, the the beneficiary, just because of how the numbers work, have to be over 27 years old for the numbers to work. <clears throat> I mean, you can you can also create it for a number of years, like 20 years. Um, and that uh, you can make the numbers work for that so there's a little math in there but the fact is is that the key is that you're creating an income stream and then at the end of the trust the, the the balance of the money in the trust goes to the charity that that you've selected so there are lots and lots of benefits now there are a couple different ways of setting them up uh, and the lawyers call it crats and cruts, uh, but the, the difference is you can set it up to where you get a certain percentage of whatever the trust is valued at that year, or you can set it up to uh, take uh, the same dollar amount each year. So the bottom line is there are two different ways of setting up that income stream, but the fact is, is that you can create this. Now, you also, if you itemize on your income tax return, uh, you can also get a, t- a 10% uh, income tax deduction for a charitable contribution, which is pretty sweet. Uh, but, it, you know, because the Congress has taken away our charitable deduction um Uh, if you use the standard uh, deduction on our income tax return, which, of course, 99% of the folks out there use the standard deduction. So the charitable contribution uh, benefit has gone away. You know, that's why I talk about the qualified charitable donations for those of us with retirement accounts who happen to be over 70 and a half because that's a big tax savings, too. But the fact is that our donations to charity don't do us any good on our tax return uh, for most of us uh, anyway, uh, anymore. So the, the fact is that for those who are concerned—I mean, think about it. If you have a child who's a spendthrift uh, or terrible with money— uh, and you don't want the possibility of that child inheriting a retirement account and then blowing it, um, a charitable remainder trust is an excellent way to, to distribute those funds o- over many, many years, far more than 10 years, and that's, uh, that, that's uh, the key when it, it comes uh, to that. So. Uh, those those are the kind of things that where, uh, for the right client, a charitable remainder trust is excellent, and those would fall into two categories. One would be the person who's charitably inclined and would like to leave something to their church or charity uh, because that's part of who they are. <laughs> And the fact is, is that even though 10% of the trust goes to the charity eventually, it doesn't actually cost you 10% to do it. In other words, the the actual after-tax cost to you is far less than that. So it's an easy way to give to charity while you're skinning the cat for your uh, loved ones. Uh, so that's one group, those who are charitably inclined, and the other uh, is the group with a large retirement account that uh, has uh, issues that that uh, regarding their children in terms of their receiving a, a large uh, inheritance from uh, as an IRA beneficiary. So uh, for those folks, where the uh, we as parents think we need to to plan for them, <laughs> um, yeah, which quite frankly is a lot of us, then a charitable remainder trust is simply an, another arrow in the quiver that we can use uh, to distribute what we've created over our lifetime.
0: If you do miss out on the characteristics of the stretch IRA, this is a wonderful option for you. If you want to schedule some time to speak with Bill, you can go to WGALaw.com. You can also call the office. The phone number is 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. Don't forget, you can also find information about Bill's free webinars at WGALaw.com. Just click on the seminars button at the top of the page a quick break and back with more this is asset protection today with attorney bill alexander and we'll be right back You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can learn more about Bill at WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we are talking about charitable remainder trusts. And, Bill, this is a, a pretty wide topic because there's a lot that you can do with these.
1: Well, the, the other thing, I mean, charitable remainder trusts uh, traditionally have been used um the, i mean until the secure act on our retirement accounts uh, we, we didn't need charitable remainder trust to for what we call stretch retirement accounts but but now we do again if you will uh and uh, but but the traditional way um, charitable remainder trusts have been used are when we own highly appreciated uh, property. Now, that might be real estate, it might be stocks, it might be um, other types of of plans uh, or any kind of property that is worth a whole lot more now than it was when we purchased or acquired that property. Uh, You know, think about, you know, if you bought Microsoft stock or Apple stock uh, 20 years ago or 25 years ago and have just held it, you know, it might be worth a thousand times more than it was worth when you bought it. And so the fact is that when you have highly appreciated property and and it must be sold or should be sold for some reason, um, then... Is there a way that you can avoid paying the income tax? Now, when I say income tax, uh, what we're normally talking about is what we call capital gains tax, which for federal purposes is capped at 20%, which is pretty good because there are a lot of folks who are in a higher tax bracket than 20%. And then you have state income tax on there, too, which this year has fallen to 4.75. Last year it was 4.99%. Now it's 4.75%. And it's actually, over the next few years, dropping to 3.99%. So our state income taxes are already slated to uh, come down. Uh, Our state revenue coffers are are pretty bulging right now, which is a a nice thing, very unusual thing. Um, But that's what's uh, happening. So the bottom line is, is a lot of folks, when they have uh, property that needs to be sold um, or must be sold sometimes, I mean, and, you, you know, the fact is, is Folks realize that uh, oftentimes they want to hold on to highly appreciated property so they can pass it to their children at their death. That has huge tax advantages uh, to folks um, because of what I've talked about from time to time, the step up in income tax basis. And people say, oh, gosh, what is basis? I don't know what a basis is. It basically, your basis is your acquisition cost. So it's the bottom number on how you determine your capital gains. But when you die, that income tax basis uh, increases. Well, it can decrease, but in almost every case, it's an increase to the fair market value at the date of your death. Well, what does that mean? It basically means if you inherit it and you get the step up in basis and you, then you sell the property, you don't have any income tax to pay uh, because it, the, base, the income tax basis has increased to the, the value of what you inherited it at. So what's better than that? But the fact is is that there are lots of times where you should sell or must sell. Think, think of it uh, uh, that you own property and the highway's going through and the state takes your property and pays you for it. Well, guess what? And they're supposed to pay you its, its value. And so hopefully you've made a lot of money on that. But the fact is, it's a forced sale. So you don't have a choice as to whether or not you're selling it. The state's taking it, okay? And they are paying you for it, and hopefully you're getting the adequate price for it. Uh, or let's, you know, I had lots of clients who uh, owned just significant portions uh, of Wachovia stock because <clears throat> um, many of the executives, you know, the Wachovia stock was worth a ton of money. It was a great bank. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, as we know, what happened is Wachovia got bought out. Uh, it was not well managed after it it, it uh, was bought out. So, the folks who had it, you know, you know, a half million to a million dollars or more in Wachovia stock, once it was bought out, should they have sold? Well, you better believe it, because it was worth about one hundred fifty dollars a share. And then after it got mismanaged after the buyout, uh, finally Wells Fargo came in and bought it for a little over $6 a share. So folks who were millionaires with Wachovia stock became paupers (laughs) if if they didn't sell their stock at an appropriate time. But so many people did not. Why? Because they were trying to preserve that asset for their children, and this is, this is, can be a huge financial mistake, because sometimes uh, valuable property becomes much less valuable uh, in the future, and th- you know that, unfortunately, that debacle was predictable but folks needed sometimes it's just better to sell and pay the tax okay Uh, because tax isn't terrible I mean okay you're generally maxed out at 25 percent federal and state income tax so not bad Um, and you're only paying tax on the gain but people do like the fact that can we avoid paying any income tax at all Yes, and one way to do it is with what? Charitable remainder trust, you know, so that you can place this highly appreciated property in your trust and let the trust sell it. And when because the charity owns it, if you will, at this point, there's no income tax, no uh, capital gains tax to pay, and you've created an income stream from the proceeds from the sale of that highly appreciated property. Now the other way that it can be done, particularly if it's if it's land is what's called a 1031 exchange where you sell your property and you exchange it for like kind real estate. Now it has to be business property, can't be your primary residence we're talking about, but it's the kind of thing where that's another way. But a lot of folks don't want to buy like-kind property or they can't find the like-kind property that makes sense for them to purchase. So in that case, um, it's either charitable remainder trust or um, pay the tax. And sometimes paying the tax is the best way to go. And, but for some folks who would like to create an income stream, uh, then a charitable remainder trust is a um, has a little bit going to charity, but it still has some huge benefits uh, to folks who want to use that uh, as a way to accomplish their goals.
0: requires some forethought and some planning and making sure that you've got the right guidance as well. If you want to schedule some time to speak with Bill, you can go to WGALaw.com or call the office, 919 256 7,000. 919 256 7, A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. listening to asset protection today with attorney bill alexander you can go to wgalaw.com if you want to find more information about bill or his webinars wgalaw.com if you want to learn more about the webinars click on the seminars button at the top of the page wgalaw.com i'm jason kong here with bill alexander and bill we're going to get into a discussion on Revocable trusts, and these are, of course, popular,
1: but may not necessarily be for everyone. Well, you took the words out of my mouth. Uh, Frankly, I have lots of folks who come in and uh, they share with me uh, their goals and their resources uh, and those kinds of things. And it's like, well, We've heard about these revocable trusts and and how uh, so many people think everybody should have a revocable trust. So should we have one? Uh, And and that's always a fun thing to discuss. And quite frankly, from my perspective, uh, uh, there are an awful lot of folks that actually should, in fact, have one. uh, But not everybody needs one. And, and you know, so it's it's nice to be able to discuss some of the parameters. And, okay, so first of all, what is a revocable trust? All it is is an agreement that you create uh, with uh, your—oftentimes you're doing it with your spouse. But if you're single, you're doing it with yourself, and you're forming an agreement uh, that has binding law that goes with it. Uh, you name yourself as the manager of the trust that's called the trustee you name yourself as the beneficiary of the trust and of course you're creating the trust and so uh, basically then you hopefully transfer the property that you own to yourself as trustee and you may say hmm that sounds a little fishy Um, and of course it is and so because of that the Internal Revenue Service says okay Uh, We're just going to ignore these revocable trusts. But the fact is, uh, and so anything in a revocable trust will use your social security number, will not cause you to change anything about how you do things. Uh, Once you get your trust funded, you're done. And basically, you can do anything. There's no handcuffs in a revocable trust. You can change the terms at any time. You can invest any way you want, and you can spend uh, any way you want. So where's the limitation? There's absolutely none. Uh, So uh, the fact is, uh, but one of the advantages uh, to a trust is that uh, trust property does not have to be probated or go through court administration, which does several things that are positive. Number one, uh, it basically means you don't have to pay the court to probate, administer, and audit your, um, what, what you uh, leave to your family, uh, which does everything. It saves money, and it's much faster than having the court go through the process that's required. So there are many lawyers that, out there who says, okay, because of this alone— Everybody should have a trust, you know. Get rid of those court costs. Get, you know. But I disagree with that, uh, particularly for a married couple. Oftentimes, a married couple uh, doesn't necessarily need uh, a a trust, and that uh, I- any uh, court administration is very simple if it's needed at all. Because, um, and again, it depends on goals. It depends on is this a first marriage, second marriage, third marriage? Are there children by previous marriages? You know, those, any, any complication tends to push you towards a trust. But let's say that you have a first marriage, you have a couple children, and you have um, a fairly uh, good-sized uh, retirement account uh, and a home and otherwise you don't have a whole lot of uh, money in the bank or investment accounts it's almost all retirement account and your home that's paid for maybe a couple vehicles and uh, a, you know a few you know a little bit of money in the bank that sort of thing well the bottom line is you have to understand that uh, a home typically is going to go to the survivor of the spouse by the deed. It, it doesn't need to be probated, and your retirement account is a beneficiary designation. So again, there is no court administration at the first death with that, if that's all you've got. Now, when you're alone, you know if you're single, then uh, oftentimes a, a trust is helpful, uh, but for married couples, not necessarily so. Now, then there are other things that push you towards a trust. I mean, for instance, you may have a fairly simple estate, but you own um, a lake house in Virginia. You own a a beach condo at Myrtle Beach. In other words, you you inherited a house in New York. Uh, The bottom line is you own property, real estate, outside of North Carolina. Well... Under those circumstances, it's almost always going to save you a ton of money to uh, or your, I shouldn't say you, it'll it will save your beneficiaries a ton of money for you to have a trust and to ha- particularly to have the real estate that's outside of North Carolina in your trust. In other words, deeded to you as trustee of your trust because that will avoid the probate in those other states. Because one of the things that has just always floored me, uh, unlike North Carolina, real estate in other states it is almost always a probate asset, and it's expensive to administer that estate. So I've, I, I had a little podunk house in South Carolina, not at the beach, but just in South Carolina owned by a fella. Uh, worth about seventy five thousand dollars, and it cost about six thousand dollars to have it probated so that it could go to the next generation. Well, to me, that's a huge ripoff. Uh, but it's not uncommon, and that's the that's the thing. North Carolina is pretty reasonable in terms of its its cost. Now, I will say that court administration can be slow and painful. Um, in terms of its requirement. And so a a trust can be helpful under those circumstances. But uh, quite frankly, uh, for folks with a large estate where they want to actually um, uh, protect their children or grandchildren, then a trust is always best. And I love doing trusts.
0: If you want to schedule some time to speak with Bill, find out the best planning method for you, go to WGALaw.com or call 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000 or WGALaw.com. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Go to wga-law.com to register for Bill's free webinars happening on Wednesday, June 14th. Learn more about long-term care assistance, financial assistance when it comes to long-term care and the financial burden that is associated with it. If you want to learn more about Medicaid, VA benefits, this is a wonderful chance for you or learn more about asset protection and trust planning. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button at the top of the page, or call 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. That will do it for us today. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful day.